All right. So today's lesson is, um, is about love again, like we talked about. But today's lesson about love is not the, like I said, the romantic kind of love that you have. It's not about dating or about marriage and things like that. Because we covered those the last two weeks. Today's love is more about how God loves us. And in terms, if we understand how God loves us, it helps us know as well how we're supposed to love one another. Because the way that God loves us and demonstrates love to us, He also calls us to love others in that same way. So the more we understand how He loves us and, and the character of God, the better we can love and serve one another. And ultimately, again, revival will continue to spread. And so I'm going to read off here in 1 John chapter 4, uh, verses 9 through 11. And it says, God's love was revealed among us in this way that God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. So I want you guys to think about as we go through this lesson today, um, is that we didn't love God first. God loved us. You think about this, if you go back into the Garden of Eden, when God created man and woman, he created them with a decision to follow him and not eat from the one tree, or they could disobey him and eat from the one tree. And just like us, when we're told not to do something, we typically do it. And you know, your parents say, oh, this would be a bad idea, you shouldn't go do this, you shouldn't say this. Our first response a lot of times is, I'm going to push the limits and try it anyways. So as humans, we don't naturally just love God. And, that, and that's a problem. But even though we didn't choose God and we don't always choose God, God always chooses us and always loves us. And that's the kind of love that, that we're going to talk about today is that this unconditional, sacrificial love that no matter if the person chooses you or not, no matter if the person uh, reciprocates that love or not, you still love and you still pursue them and you still care for them in hopes that one day they're going to turn back to you and also love you in that way. And obviously the most um, um, act of love that God ever showed was sending Jesus so that we can, we can have salvation. So I want you guys to see, number one, if you want to write this down, is God sees people how they were created, not where they currently are. God sees people how they were created, not where they're currently at. Here's what I mean by that, is that all of us in our sinful state, we do a lot of dumb things on a daily basis, okay? Uh, no matter if you're a Christian or not, you make a lot of mistakes. And you do a lot of things that you shouldn't do. And the reality is, it's easy for us to look at somebody right now and say, well, Aaron's a real simple person, or Bradley, man, he's a real simple person because He's got this wrong with him, this wrong with him, he, he does this wrong, he says this wrong, and just know a whole list of things. We can be very judgmental in that way. And, and someone else can do the same thing about us. But see, the thing is, although God sees that, he knows what we're involved in, he knows the sins that we're doing, and he wants us to repent of that and come out of that, he also sees that, hey, if this person gives their life to me, if they abide more in me, here's the person they can become. And it's going to be something really great. And I can use it for a wonderful purpose down the road. And so what I want to challenge us with today is people in society that don't look like us, that don't think like us, they're very different than us. Instead of looking at that person saying, oh, they're just horrible, terrible, sinful people, and basically saying they have no hope, 
and just constantly bad-mouthing them. Instead, pray for them. Pray that God changes their heart. Show love to them. Rise above that because if that person turns back to God, just like with yourself, God has a plan for them too. And when they, if they give their life to Christ, God will take all their mistakes and all their sin and somehow turn that into something he can use for his glory. And, and what I want us to look at here is in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14. And it says, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Think about that. We regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. So I want you guys to think about how powerful that verse is. It's saying that no matter where you're at now, no matter what mistakes you've made, no matter how far you've turned away from God, if you accept Jesus and repent of your sins, it says the Holy Spirit cleanses you and you become a new creation. The old is totally wiped away and the new begins. So that's a powerful thing for our own lives, but I want to challenge us to have the kind of love that God has for us. That's how we should truly see people. Is that even though they're in a sinful state right now, they're not living for God, they're doing things they shouldn't do, we see it on social media all the time, it's easy to get mad and upset about that. I'm, I'm, I do the same thing. But instead of just getting mad and upset, pray for that person to see the truth. Show that person the love of Christ. Show them how Christians are different than other people in the world because the Holy Spirit lives in us. Because you know if they accept Christ, the old will pass away, a new will come, and God will eventually use them for a wonderful purpose. Something that they can't even imagine, we can't even imagine. And they could be the next great disciple for Jesus. So I, saw, I found this, I thought this was pretty good. It says, the truth is, love is choosing to give another person what they need the most when they deserve it the least. A great personal cost. This is the example of Jesus. And what I put here is that God didn't look at us and only see sin. He looked at us and saw what we could become in Christ. In your life today, if you're living a life that doesn't honor God, you're living a way that you're doing things you shouldn't do, God knows that. He wants to bring you into the light. He wants to show you the truth and hope that you'll overcome that sin. And, and, you, and you ask forgiveness of it. But he also sees what Aaron could be five years down the road if he gives his life to me fully. He sees what Sarah can be if she gives her life to me fully in the next five years. He can see down the road. He knows the potential, the God-given potential he's put in every single one of you. If you're still living and breathing today, God has a plan and a purpose for you. And that purpose is a great purpose. And it said, I put here, God was willing to give everything to show us forgiveness and love and hopes we would love him back in return. He died to give you a hope and a future. He knows the God-given potential in each of you that will come out when you give yourself fully to him. This is true love. And so I want you guys to think about this. When you begin to see people like this, your actions will automatically change toward them as a result. When you begin to, to change your heart and your mindset and you start to see people like this, the way you respond to that person will totally change as well. You'll be kinder, you'll be more gentle, you'll be more compassionate, you'll be more empathetic, and your entire person will change the way you interact around them. And then because of that, they're going to see the love of Christ in you. And that's attractive to anybody, whether you're a Christian or not, because it's something not from this world. 
Number two, I want you guys to write down is God is constantly pursuing and forgiving us. God is constantly pursuing and forgiving us. Wait a minute. It's attractive. Uh, no, I'll go into it. So when we show love to others, sometimes people will still reject us. Okay? Think about this. You may have somebody at school that, you know, is just kind of a boy. They're not really that nice, and they're living the lifestyle that's not great. And you come up to them and ask them if you can sit with them at lunch and just be nice to them or help them out with something. And they may totally shut you down or curse you out or something like that. You know, and all of us being a human, that's going to hurt our feelings a little bit, okay? Because we just put ourselves out there. We're trying to be nice and rise above, and that person just, you know, slammed our hopes there in a sense. But I want you guys to remember the second part of how God loves us and how to love others is that even when you get rejected and somebody's mean to you and you show love to them, you keep pursuing them. Because we have to realize is, is with ourselves, this is how God treated us. Think about how many times in your life you've done something that God told you not to do, even after being a Christian. You know, most of us, after we've accepted Christ as our Savior, haven't lived a perfect life since then. Okay, almost daily, probably most of us make mistakes. Yet God doesn't turn away and say, okay, well, it's hopeless, forget them now, you know, I'll just go over here. No, he constantly still pursues us, constantly forgives us, constantly gives us second chances, and wants to use us again. So if God sees us that way, we have to also see others that way as well. There's a great parable in the Bible about leaving the 99 to chase the one. It's basically about a shepherd that has 100 sheep, and 99 of them are going in the right direction. They're following him, and you know it's all going great. But that one little sheep just keeps on running away and going, going by, by itself. So instead of the shepherd saying, well, you know what? I got 99 out of 100. That's good enough for me. He leaves the 99 to go get the one and bring him back to the flock. And what that parable represents is that the same thing is true with Jesus in our lives today. Even if 99% of people in the world, which that's definitely not true, but even if 99% of people in the world follow Jesus, if 1% still aren't following him, he's not going to stop pursuing us until everybody follows, up, follows him. And then if everybody follows him, he's still going to use us for a wonderful, powerful purpose and still show us love and kindness and compassion. Because Jesus is constantly showing love to all people, even though they don't love him back in return. You know, think about how Jesus asked for God to forgive the people as they were cursing at him and hanging him on the cross. I want you guys to think about how painful that would be, somebody nailing a nail into your hands, putting a crown of thorn on your head, and nailing a nail into your feet. You're going to be in one of the most painful situations in your life, and you're going to probably really hate that person, you know, as a human-wise. But instead of God or Jesus you know, cursing them back and telling them how horrible they are and that, oh, you're going to hell or whatever it is. Jesus said, forgive them, Father, if they know not what they do. And he still showed them love. And that kind of love is what changed the world forever. Because people were like, if he can love like that, something's different about this guy. Yeah, Eric? So God uh, split it up front, right? Yeah. Like before uh, he got stabbed. Uh-huh. So, like, uh, did, did that mean anything so if you um if you're that stressed and you don't and you've already lost all the water like in your body, then you'll actually begin to sweat blood. 
It's like an extreme kind of stress and agony that you would go through. So it basically just shows again how painful and how rough the cross was and what he endured for us. That's how much he loved us. Oh, that's a good question. Um, so I put here, God never stops loving and pursuing you your entire life, no matter how far you stray from him. This is the deepest love anyone can ever have. And if we begin to love people like this, revival will break out across the world. And as you guys witnessed on Saturday, and it's going across the United States right now, when people begin to love other people like this, they don't look at where they're currently at, they look at where they could be in Christ, and even if they, if they turn against them and they say mean things to them, they forgive them and keep loving them, people say something's different about these people. There's a kind of love and a joy and a peace there that I don't have. You know, some of these revivals you see right now, all these people are loving one another, they're encouraging one another, they're supporting one another. They're praying for each other. That doesn't just happen in the world today in our sinful state. So when you begin to love people how God loves you, revival breaks out. And the world begins to turn back to him. And um, as we go through here, last point here I want us to talk through. And go ahead and write this down. The last kind of love that God shows us is God leads you to truth. And he disciplines those he loves. God disciplines those he loves. Now, this is a, a kind of love that people don't like to talk about, but this is a third kind of characteristic of God's love. So one, he pursues us, and he sees the potential that we can be. He knows the plan he has for us, even if we turn away from it at first. But the third kind of love is God shows discipline to those he loves. Now, here's what I mean by that. Sometimes love is telling someone they're wrong, and leading them to the truth because you know it's the only way they're going to have a true successful life and a prosperous life. No one wants to be told they're wrong. You know, if I ask you guys here today, who wants to raise their hand and say, I love to be told I'm wrong? You know, <laughs> no one's going to say, yeah, sign me up for that. But all of us have to come to terms with the fact that we've been doing wrong since we entered the world. Uh, I heard a story, which is kind of funny. One of my coworkers. He was talking about when he was raising his daughters that when his daughter was, I think, less than a year old. Uh, she was uh, crawling on the floor, and he told her, like, you know, don't, 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 don't touch that rail. And she paused. She turned back and smirked a little bit and then touched the rail. <laughs> and he said, at that point, I knew, man, people were simple even from that young of an age. <laughs> and uh, if you think back to when you're, like, two, three, four years old, we do a lot of really dumb stuff as kids. And just carries on into adulthood because we're born into this sinful kind of nature. And until we accept Christ as our Savior, you know, the Holy Spirit isn't living in us. And even when the Holy Spirit does live in us, we're constantly fighting against that flesh. You know, we're con Satan's constantly pulling us toward him. God's constantly pulling us toward him. So we're in a battle our whole life there. And so sometimes God has to discipline us to get our attention. And to draw us back to him. Because if God never disciplined us and just let us keep living in this sinful, terrible life, then things would get inevitably much, much worse. And, and people, a lot of times, wouldn't turn back to him because they would just keep going down this really dark path. And God knows the more you dive into sin, the more you go down that path, the more depressed you get, the more anxious you'll get, and honestly, the worse your life will become. It may be enjoyable for a time, you're going to end up in a really dark place. And although God tells you not to do that, He also knows that He doesn't want you to go down that sinful path because He wants you to have life to the fullest. 
So sometimes God will discipline us so he can redirect our focus back to him to bring us out of that darkness into his marvelous light and so we can live the life that he's called us to live. We can have that joy and that peace that he offers. Did you have a question? Yeah, that's true. No, that's a good point. And, and a lot of times, you know, mental illness like depression and anxiety and stuff can be because people are confused about their place in life. They don't know, you know, they, they don't feel like they fit in and the life that they're, they're living is just not giving them the joy and the happiness that they wanted. Sometimes they're in bad relationships and those relationships are dragging them down. You know, there's a lot of things that can lead to that, but sin is a big factor in that. You know, if you're living a lifestyle totally contrary to God, you're going to get involved in things that you shouldn't get involved in, and you're not going to find the joy and the love that God offers, and you're not going to have peace in your life. And so the more you live in that lifestyle, the more anxious you can become, the more depressed you can become, the more suicidal. So again, it's not the only reason, but it definitely can be a factor that leads a lot of people into that, into that route. Um, I want us to also think about this here. Um, instead of speaking the truth and instead um, speak the truth in love, we will grow to, to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head that is Christ. That's Ephesians four fifteen. And Proverbs fourteen twelve says there is a way that appears to be right, just the way of the world, but in the end it leads to death. And you think about this: if you look at movies and TV shows and billboards, most of them advertise like, "Hey, sex is a good thing before marriage." And, you know, go out and party and have fun or smoke this or drink this or do all these kind of stuff. And all these commercials, it looks appealing, it looks attractive. A lot of the reason because of that is people want you to do that so you, you pay money and their company becomes profitable, okay? It's all, it's all a very selfish kind of thing. But what they're not telling you is that most of these, like, supermodels out there, most of these famous athletes, most of these uh, famous actors and actresses, if they don't have Christ in their life, most of them end up very depressed later in life. They, a lot of them have committed suicide, a lot of them have to go to therapy, and a lot of them end up in rehab. And it's because the things that the world promised would give them that joy and that satisfaction end up leading to death. So God's saying that if you're going down that path, you gotta pull somebody back. Because if you don't, it leads to death. And so I want you guys to think about this today. Everyone makes mistakes, but to continue to make them when you know the truth is the highest form of stupidity and leads to the destruction of yourself and others. You know, the definition of stupidity is doing something again, expecting a different result. So if you know that sinful action led to this and you do it again, that's basically the highest form of stupidity we can all have. And we all are probably guilty of that at one point in our life or another. I know I am for sure. And so... What I want you to think about here is when, you're, when you see your friends and your family that aren't living for Christ, I want you to think about if you continue to let them live that way and you never try to bring them back to the truth, then you're not really showing them godly love. Because what you're saying is I care more about me offending that person than that person's salvation. And that person actually living a better life. Because Jesus says we're salt and light into the world. What does that mean? Think about this. If you have a cut on your leg and you run out into the ocean, it's going to burn terribly. Okay? 
But when you leave the ocean, that salt water, a lot of times, it is not terribly mucky, and that salt water will begin to actually heal the wound. So a lot of times, like a doctor or something like that will tell you that, you know, to, to gurgle warm salt water or something like that. The reason they ask you to do that is because, yes, it burns the wound at first, but after the salt seeps in, it begins to heal the wound. And so when Jesus says that we're salt into the world, that's what he means. When you teach the truth and you have to tell somebody, hey, the way you're living, man, it's just not, that's not the best way. Let me show you a better way because I care about you. It may burn at first because no one wants to be told they're wrong. But if that person allows that truth to seep in and they reflect upon their life and what you're telling them and they give their life to Christ, it will heal them and they'll become a better person. So that's what Jesus means by what we're salt into the world. So it's, it's okay, you know, to sometimes offend somebody if you're doing it in a respectful way because the gospel is offensive to those that don't believe in it, if you do it in the right way. And what I mean by that is that when you're showing somebody that they're wrong and they're living a lifestyle that's not right, you have to make sure you don't forget point one and two. Make sure you see that person as the potential that God has in them and that you understand that even if that person doesn't accept Christ right away, God would still forgive them. God would still chase after them. So when you go about telling that person that they're wrong, you do it with gentleness, you do it with kindness, you do it with empathy, meaning that you understand that, hey, I was once in that same situation, and I'm no better than they are. I just, I just haven't seen the truth. And if you do it with kindness and gentleness and understanding, then that person will know that you're coming from a place of love, not just a place of beat down, and hopefully they'll let that salt sink in and it will and allow it to heal their life and change it for all eternity. And um, as we conclude here, I put discipline as an act of love because it's not fun for anyone. Parents don't like to discipline their children a lot of times either because, you know, you love that person. You don't want to see that person stung for even a second. But you know it helps the person in the long run. To not discipline someone living in sin is to not care about their eternity or if they ruin their lives, and that's truly not love. If you care about someone, you're desiring the best for them, even if it means having a tough conversation in the moment. Having a tough conversation now and possibly offending somebody for a second, but eventually leading that person to eternal life is, a, is a, undoubtedly the right decision. So the way in which you discipline someone, again, makes all the difference. Make sure that as you go about your life, as you show love to the world around you, you do it with kindness, showing, knowing that that person could be something great and God has a great plan for them if they give their life to Christ. Knowing that that person may not accept Christ when you first share it with them, but that's okay. Keep pursuing them. But don't give up leading them to the truth because that's the most important thing you can do for somebody. That's the greatest act of love you can show anybody is to lead them to Jesus who can save them for all eternity and lead them to a life of fulfillment. So I want to go ahead and take some questions here. We'll pause this. Yes. The way you said that, I don't, I don't think that we discipline people. I think we hold them accountable for it because God will discipline.